0: All right. Uh, if you have your Bible out, if you want to open up to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, as we continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going through the Beatitudes, one Beatitude at a time, and and so this is uh, it turns into what it turns into is it turns into a topical study as you go through the Beatitudes one at a time because um, you, you can only do so much exegesis to one verse that um, we try to keep our topical messages expositional as we look at different passages uh, that deal with the particular beatitude that we're looking at. So today we're looking at comfort for the morning. Last week we began our look at the beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again each week as we look at the beatitudes the main point is the verse. Okay? It's it's short, it's succinct, it makes the point. And so last week, we, we wanted to understand, what does it mean to be poor in spirit, right? Because we want the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is where you want to be, okay? And, and so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the question we have to ask is, what is does it mean to be poor in spirit? And we came to the conclusion last week that to be poor in spirit is to be spiritually bankrupt. It's like the publican or the tax collector in the temple. Be merciful to me, O God, I am a sinner, One commentator says to be poor in spirit is a conscious confession of absolute spiritual destitution before God. We are a beggar at a table of beggars. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to bring spiritually to the equation. But as we sang, when we come in faith, right, we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have all that we need to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, today, the next verse is about mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So we have to ask the question, what does it mean to mourn? And we'll get to that in just a minute. But as I began last week, I noted that the basis of Jesus' beatitudes here, he's not grabbing it out of thin air, though he could, because he is the Word of God, he is God in the flesh. I mean, he speaks truth, it is truth, but he is basing it on prior truth, as we look at Isaiah chapter 61, which is a passage which directly deals with the kingdom of God that we're looking at here. And so Isaiah 61.1, and before I begin this, I'm going to have a lot of scripture verses up today, okay? And, and most of you follow along. If you're looking at your Bible, I'm going to go fast. So you can have the scripture reference, but I'm not going to read every single, all of every passage on every single slide, okay? But, so I'm going to keep it moving. If you have questions, you can ask me later. Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? Well, the poor. Were many of them in poverty, lacking material goods? Yes. He's talking about being poor in spirit. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty, instead of ashes, the oil of joy, instead of mourning, a garment of praise, instead of despair, a spirit instead of a spirit of despair. And then he goes on, and I don't have this up here because this is a mess, this is a messianic passage about the kingdom. In verse 4, he says. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches, you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will receive your inheritance. He's talking about this time in the kingdom. He's he's declaring what is to come. I am the Messiah. I am the King. There is a kingdom that is coming. And what are the citizens of the kingdom? How are they characterized? That's what we're looking at here. And the Beatitudes on the Sermon of the Mount. Interestingly, at the end of chapter 61, he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and he has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. We just sang about that. So today's verse, blessed are those who mourn. We clearly see that in the passage there. He will comfort all those who mourn. So what does it mean? What is meant by the word mourn? If you just simply look it up in the dictionary, to feel regret or sadness about the loss of someone or something. So there is loss, there is separation. Most often we think of, death, right? Death is separation. And a part of that is this expression of grief or sorrow. There is sorrow and grief involved with mourning, as you sense loss. So is all mourning the same? Is this blessed are those who mourn? So when Jesus says that, is he, is he looking at all types of mourning? Because not all mourning is the same. It's not all the same. For instance, with kids, um, Kids express grief and sorrow hopefully more often than adults do, and sometimes for reasons that are very unusual. I was reading uh, some stories of kids and the grief and the sorrow and the morning they have. And one mother says, This, my child is crying because I took away her cup after she fell asleep with it. My child is crying because I tried to clean her nose. If you have kids, you understand what I'm talking about. My child is crying because I wouldn't let her play with scissors. My child is crying because I, let her crawl. I wouldn't let her crawl in the fireplace. My child is crying because I didn't let her eat the toilet paper. Right? So, so kids, I mean, they, their sense of, of what causes grief and sadness and sorrow is much different, hopefully, than what it is for adults. I remember growing up, I would mourn when my football team lost. I, I was just so wrapped up. Uh, at that time, weirdly, I was a Cowboys fan. No longer am I a Cowboys fan. Uh, but at the time, I was, and Pittsburgh would just drum them in the Super Bowl, and I, was, I lived in Pennsylvania at the time, and my friends would call me and mock me, and I'd be crying in the house, mourning the loss of, of the Super Bowl by the Cowboys. That's inappropriate mourning, right? How about, you know, this, this is a big deal, you know, teenage sweethearts, and there's a breakup. There's mourning there. It's very real. Okay, I'm not denying the fact that there's sorrow, and sorrow is real, it's mourning, but it, but sometimes it's really blown out of proportion, right? The Interesting, when you study the concept of mourning here, what is blessed mourning, what is right mourning, Jesus isn't even necessarily referring to the death of somebody that you love, though that can be a part of it, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So we understand, what is, what is the right kind of mourning? What is, what is blessed mourning, right? Because that's what we're looking at here in the passage, So I think we need to look at it two different ways. In one way, you probably know. The other way, you may not necessarily know. So John Stott, he's a great writer, written many books. He says this about this concept of mourning. He says, what kind of sorrow can it be which brings the joy of Christ's blessing to those who feel it? It is plain from the context that those here promised comfort are not primarily those who mourn the loss of a loved one. It is not the sorrow of bereavement to which Christ refers, but the sorrow of repentance. And he says this is the second stage of spiritual blessing, right? So blessing. So it's blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. They're really got two sides of the same coin. Right? You, 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 you are poor in spirit, you're spiritually bankrupt, and then you mourn the fact that that's the way you are. You hate your sin. Because it is an offense against the almighty God who loves you. He says this is the second stage of spiritual blessing. It is one thing to be spiritually poor and acknowledge it It is another to grieve and mourn over it. Or in more theological language, confession is one thing. You confess your sin, but contrition, brokenness and mourning over your sin is another So one way to look at blessed are those who mourn is grieving over sin that results in changed behavior, right? You're not grieving because you got caught or your life gets really crummy because you got caught in the sin. No, it's like you you recognize who you're sinning against and the cost that was paid to cover that sin and you mourn that and you change the way you're living. There's contrition, there is repentance, that's one way, and it's important to see it that way. We're going to talk about that. The other way, which I really, personally, I think is more to the point of what's being said here, is is this. The blessing of the morning in Matthew 5-4 is to be taken... There's a big word, isn't it? I sound like I know something when I say this word. Eschatologically. Say that fast five times. All that means is taken like what happens in the end, the last times, like towards, you know, Revelation. What happens in the end, when Christ returns, the last things? Is, so Matthew 5, 4 is to be viewed as to what happens in the end, like Isaiah 61, when Christ returns, it sets up his kingdom. So this, Rudolf Boltman goes on, he says, those who suffer in the present age will find comfort in the next Right? And so there's this aspect of you're mourning your sin and you hate it and you don't want to do it again. And you're just like, oh, I've done it again. Oh, when will I get relief from this? When Christ returns. You see? That's the comfort. And we'll talk about it more in a minute. And so, Boltman goes on and says, The mourning here is not just sorrow, it's sin. It is the mourning of those who see this age as it is and are not seduced by its charms. Their mourning marks them off from the age and can hardly fail to include, the first aspect, an element of penitent sorrow for sin. Right? So, Rudolf Bultmann, he a very smart guy, he, he adds that in there, okay? That mourning over sin, but also that mourning over sin in this age that includes the comfort they will receive from Christ. So, blessed mourning in this aspect is longing for the return of Christ and the comfort that he will bring. Okay, so you're grieving over sin. You're mourning over sin. And it's blessed when you mourn and you're looking for that comfort, longing. It's just longing for the return of Christ. So blessed mourning. The first aspect that I'm talking about is mourning our sin. And I have three different ways to look at this. So the first aspect, mourning over our sin. And in the first way is we're going to look at it vertically, Our relationship with God. We're gonna look at it internally and then we're gonna look at it outwardly. How sin affects us with God, how sin affects us as a person, how sin has affected the world around us. We should mourn and grieve all of those and look for the return of Christ. So, the first thing we do is you need to mourn because your sin offends God. Your sin is offensive to God. When I say offensive, it's not like offensive like we understand it today, like you just triggered me, that's offensive. No, it's like God is the holy lawgiver. When you offend him, you transgress his law. Now again, it's important not to look at God as, as this cosmic lawgiving ogre who only wants to control your life, okay? God is the lawgiver, has given laws because they represent his character, but because they determine how you're going to function best. God wants you to have the best life. God wants you to be happy. If you will, the first message on this. He wants you to have that. But you have to live according to his law. And when you sin, you're offending God. You're transgressing his law. And think about God. He's, he's a loving father. He is giving you these rules so that you will thrive and prosper. He wants well for you. He, he's given you life. He sustains your life. Every second that you live is because it's a gift from him. And when you sin, you're going like, Ah! You're throwing your hand up at God. I mean, think about how you would feel if you were investing in somebody giving, 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 giving sacrificially and then they begin to disregard you and do offensive things towards you. It'd be difficult. Our sin is an offense to God, right? God says there, he says, they have unfaithfulness and hostility towards me, right? He's talking about the children of Israel here but this principle can be connected to us. But if they will confess their sins and their sins of our ancestors, and he says, their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me, your sin is hostility towards the one who has given you life. He's a loving father. How could you not mourn when you sin? I mean, think about the people in your life that you want to please. just an earthly, from an earthly perspective, the people that you want to please, and you work hard to please them. And when somehow you fail because you do something that's, that they didn't want, or you do something that's not up to their standard, you, you're all over yourself. You're like beating yourself up. You're mourning that. How much greater when you sin against God? Secondly, mourn because your sin crucified the Son of God. Your sin is an offense against God, and it crucified the Son of God. Think about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was God. Nothing came into being, nothing was created apart from Him. So you've been, in a sense, created by Jesus, and you have lived in hostility towards Him. And Jesus, the Son of God, took on a human nature at the Incarnation, and He came to remove the hostility between you and Him and you and the Father. When we sin, we defame our creator, we defile his image, we disregard his purpose for which we have been created. Sin is a direct affront to God. It creates hostility between us and the triune God, and the son of God came to remove that hostility. When we sin, we're just throwing that fist of hostility right back up against God. We're trampling over the sacrifice that was made to remove that hostility. We're all a part of that. All of us have done that, right? Various passages here, you might say, well, I wasn't there. I wasn't there in Acts chapter 2. I wasn't one of the the men, you you know, that crucified Jesus Christ, who put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But Isaiah tells us clearly that when Jesus Christ was put on the cross, he wasn't just being killed brutally, unlawfully, really. No, he was he was dying for us. Our sins were placed on him. Look, he says in Isaiah 53, we like sheep have all gone astray. That's all of us. Each of us have turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the son of God, the iniquity of us all for the transgression of my people. He was punished. Our sins nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. When we sin, you understand, Christ died to save us from sin. He gave His life. He sacrificed, He willingly, lovingly laid down His life for us. And yet we choose willingly and voluntarily to sin against Him. That should cause us to mourn. In the words of the hymn writer, we should abhor our sin. My Jesus' fair, was pierced by thorns, by thorns grown from the fall. Thus He who gave the curse was torn, to end that curse for all. The refrain is, O love divine, O matchless grace, that God should die for men. With joyful grief I lift my praise, abhorring all my sin, adoring only Him. So mourn because your sin is an offense to God. It's an offense against your Savior who was crucified for your sins. And mourn because your sin grieves the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a person, friend. He's he's not just some, he's a person. He lives within you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. As Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, whoever is united with the Lord is one with the Spirit. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God goes. Whatever you do, the Spirit of God is there with you. That should be sobering. God is invested in you. The Spirit is living within you and you sin against God and it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. So blessed are those who mourn in a manner which their sin offends God. For they will be comforted. Secondly, mourn because sin has devastated humanity, right? So I've dealt with this this vertical component. And now I'm dealing, when I say humanity, now I'm talking about you as a person included in this. What's going on with you and your relationship with God? The spiritual death that has occurred because of your sin. Sin separates us from God. When you think about the definition of death, here's physical death. Physical death is, is when uh, the soul separates from the body. Okay, you might say, well, no, it's when the brainwaves stop. It's when your heart stops beating. If you look at the Bible... Right? It's when the soul departs from your body. That is, that is physical death. Spiritual death is, is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They've been given everything they needed. God was walking with them, He was in relationship with them. And they sinned against God, and that relationship was broken. They were separated from God. There was a spiritual disconnection that occurred. And, and so that's because of sin. Could you imagine, I mean, think about the relationship that you have on earth, the people that you love and you're close to, and all of a sudden you don't have that relationship anymore. And how horrible it is and how you mourn the loss of a relationship. How much more greater would it have been with Adam and Eve in the garden when God was with them in the garden, the mourning that occurred? We need to mourn because our sin separates us from God. Right, Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Mourning really involves the fact that there's been separation. There's, there's a brokenness of a relationship. There's a loss of a relationship. All right, it's in the definition there. The loss of someone or something, i.e. your relationship with God. It's a warning because sin has devastated humanity. It has separated all of humanity from God. There is spiritual death that has occurred. But praise God, Jesus Christ came into the world to overcome that spiritual death for us by taking the penalty that we deserve on the cross, taking our sins away so that we could be back in relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. But you know, once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, sin fights against our salvation. And I've already alluded to this. I mean, think about your life as a Christian and and the commitments that you've made to Christ and and the fact that you read his word and you want to obey his word, you want to walk by faith, and and you've made personal commitments that I'm going to do this, this, and that, and I'm not going to do those things. And you fail. You've got that sin that's right there with you. The things that you want to do, you don't do. The things that you don't want to do, you do anyway, right? That's Paul in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with it, the law of good, the law of sin is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin that is living in me, for I know that the good itself cannot dwell in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but what? Sin, the sin living in me that does it. Right? He makes it clear. He says, What a wretched man I am. Right? That's his mourning. Paul says, Look! I was a Pharisee. We talked about it last week. Look at who I was. I met Christ on the road to Damascus. Jesus Christ was there the moment I came to faith in him. He commissioned me to be a light to the Gentiles, to take them from darkness to light. And yet I keep committing the same sin again. And somehow we think we're going to get better than that. But when we do, we need some more. and We need to grieve and recognize that it's only Christ. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And Paul says who? Christ! Praise be to God for Jesus Christ. Paul says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So sin fights against your salvation. Is there anything more precious to you than your salvation? Sin is fighting against you. It's fighting against it. That sin that is right there with you, right? Sin is there all the time. Evil sin is right there with me all the time. And the saddest thing about sin that we should grieve and mourn is that sin is going to fill hell. Do you live with a daily understanding that people are dying every second and they're passing into a Christless eternity, a godless eternity in hell? I don't know where you stand theologically, but if you're the strongest, hardest Calvinist, whatever, okay, if you think that, you know, God's predetermined that they're going to, you know, people make a decision. They choose to rebel against God. They choose sin. God does not send people to hell. People send people to hell by sinning, and sin will fill hell. And we should mourn that. We should grieve that. Do we really believe that hell's as bad as it is, and that people are really going there. If so, we should mourn the fact that people are passing into eternity and they will spend it in hell. Revelation 21, at the end. Who will be in hell? It's not an exhaustive list. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars. That's not an all-inclusive list they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death, that separation. Sin will fill hell. So blessed are those who mourn sin's devastating effect on humanity, for they will be comforted. So we've mourned because of our sin. Now we need to mourn because of the catastrophic consequences opposed imposed on the created order through sin. I love when I make it a point, point. it's too much for me to say. Mourn the catastrophic consequences imposed on the created order through sin. So I'm dealing with what's happened to the world, right? What are the effects on the world around us because of sin, right? Because sin entered into the world through one man, okay? And it causes uh, disfiguration, death, deprivation, disease, death unto the created order, right? In Romans chapter five, Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And this way, death came to all people because of all sin. Sin has devastated the entire world, right? God cursed the earth, and that was a dramatic curse. It may seem like nothing when you're reading it in Genesis chapter three, but it's huge. He curses the earth and people because of sin, because all have sin. And so, as Jesus looks out on the world and he sees humanity. And what's happened to humanity? He weeps. Right? Matthew, uh, John chapter 11, Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. What's Jesus weeping at? Is he weeping because Lazarus died? That's the context. Well, he's getting ready to raise him from the dead. So, surely he's not weeping because Lazarus is dead. Is he weeping because Mary is upset? Well, it could be that. I think Jesus is weeping because he walks into this context and they're are, there are the walking dead. They're people that are walking around. They claim to have faith and really they're dead. And they're faithless, and they want nothing to have with Jesus as he's presented himself to them. And he weeps as he looks out at the world. He's longing for that moment when he will set up his kingdom, when he will make all things right. But as it is, now he looks out, and streams of tears flow from his eyes. Why? Because your law is not obeyed. You understand that if, if, if the world around us just obeyed the law of God, whether they had faith in Jesus Christ or not, if they just obeyed the law of God, do you know how good the world would be? As it is, the world has been cursed. People disobey and disregard the law of God, so we have poverty, we have disease, we have deprivation. right? We have multitude of religions that are idolatrous. We have war. We have a disregard for God's created order. that We don't take care of it because of the curse. And Paul makes note of this in Romans chapter 8 as Paul has the long look as he's looking for that comfort that only Christ can bring. When he sets up his kingdom, he writes this, For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation is groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for the curse to be reversed, for the devil to be destroyed, for the king to sit on his throne, for righteousness to reign, for there to be social justice, real social justice, for disease to be totally done away with as we're waiting on he continues and he says for this hope in this hope we're saved looking forward to that time but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes in what they already have and so paul says hope as you mourn blessed are those who mourn the catastrophic consequences of sin in the creator for they will be comforted That's the comfort of Romans chapter 8, that that looking forward. We're comforted now knowing that Christ is going to return and we will ultimately be comforted when he does return. And so really that leads into the other way of looking at this concept of mourning and comfort. Blessed, blessed mourning longs for the return of Christ and the comfort that he will bring. That's why it's so important to live every day longing for the return of Christ. So it's an interesting passage. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees who are upset because the disciples aren't washing their hands like they should and they're picking grain on the Sabbath. And so Jesus has to deal with this. John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? It's this question of fasting among the Pharisees. Jesus answered, and this answer is is so amazing and is so insightful. He said, How can the guest how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? So anytime Jesus talks about being a bridegroom, what's he talking about? He's talking about the future. He's talking about when he returns and his people are gathered to him as a bridegroom would gather his bride. It's always eschatological, it's always in time when you look at Jesus being the bridegroom. So Jesus says, well, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, i.e., resurrected and ascended. Then they will fast. Then they will, it's not said, but then they will mourn. So he says, mourning that's in view. And so I write this, as citizens of the kingdom, we mourn the absence of the present earthly rule of the king, Jesus In Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells the parable of the minas. He talks about a king who goes away, and then the king returns. He's talking about himself. We long for the return and the establishment of his kingdom. Your kingdom come, right? We're going to read this. We'll be going through this soon in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Lord, your kingdom come. Maranatha, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus Christ establishes his rule, his will will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. That is comfort for us as we live in a sin-cursed world. So blessed are those who mourn the absence of King Jesus. They will be comforted. Lastly, as we look at this comfort, we will be comforted when Jesus Christ returns. I've said this multiple times. Interesting in Isaiah, and Jesus draws a lot from Isaiah as is he talks about his messianic role, as he talks about the kingdom, he pulls from Isaiah all the time. We've already read a passage from Isaiah. If you know the, you know the storyline of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39 are God's indictment against Judah, his indictment against his people, and his indictment against all the nations. It's gloom and doom. A little bit of hope and light comes in at different places, like Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 9, 11. 25, there's these glimpses of the kingdom, but for the most part, 1 through 39 are, oh, this is horrible, repent, you've sinned, you're going, to be, you're, in cap- you're going to go into captivity, things are going to be bad for you. And then in chapter 40, he starts by saying, comfort, comfort my people, your God says. What is that comfort? That comfort is, is Jesus Christ's return, his setting up his kingdom. He says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with them, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. Such a comforting thought. One of my favorite paintings, and I, I've got, still got this picture somewhere, is of two nail-scarred hands, and all I see are the hands, and there's this little bitty lamb in the hands. Jesus is holding his lambs close to him, comforting the lambs. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those. Is that not a comforting thought? If you read down in Isaiah chapter 25, and I I mentioned that, again, this is Jesus' return as the king when he sets up his kingdom, and his people will receive the comfort that they need after having mourned his absence and having mourned their sin, having mourned the world around them. Comfort, comfort my people, Jesus says. And lastly, we will be comforted in heaven eternally. I don't think I need to spend a long time here. We know in the eternal state there will be eternal comfort. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. No more mourning in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Savior for eternity. So as we wait for the return of Jesus Christ, what should we do, right? Hey, that's great. We're in the here now, though, right? We're in the here now. We need to understand mourning. We need to understand comforting. I'm going to quickly quickly go through a few points here about what we should do now with respect to our sin and mourning and awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. What should I do as I await the return of Christ? One, deal with the sin in your life that separates from God and will send you to hell. Deal with it. Deal with the sin in your life. And the only way to deal with it is through Jesus Christ who takes your sin away, who can only bring you comforts. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ suffered once for the sins, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. What? To bring you to God. Right? Death is separation. Spiritual death is separation from God. That should grieve us. That should cause us to mourn. Christ came to bring us back into relationship with our Father in heaven. That is comfort. So if you've never dealt with a sin in your life, deal with it Now. Because if you wait till later and you try to deal with it, God's going to say, Sorry, I never knew you. Depart from me. Secondly, don't minimize or laugh at sin. Our culture minimizes sin. It cozies up with sin. Social media, TikTok, it's just full of getting close and laughing at sin. And Jesus clearly says in his counterpart in Luke, to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Woe to you who are well-fed now, you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and you will weep. If you do not treat sin as sin deserves to be treated, because you need to treat it like an enemy. Right? I've already said that sin is always with you. Sin is right there beside you. It wants to see you fail. It wants to kill you. And so you need to put sin to death. Right? If there's true mourning over sin, there's contrition, there's changed behavior, you have to kill the old ways. So as you recognize the sin in your life, you're trying to kill it, mourn over the sin in your life that offends the one who loves your soul. James speaks of this, James chapter 4. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. To grieve and mourn over your sin, but that mourning should turn turn you away from the behavior that's causing you. Mourning. It's cause you to repent. You should have repentant sorrow over your sin, right? And Paul tells us clearly in Second Corinthians there is. Sorrow that the world knows. Sorry I got caught in my sin. Sorry sin has made my life bad right now. Sorry I can't have a better life because of my sin. And people cry over it and they're mourning. That's not godly sorrow. That leads to death and that leads to separation from God eternally. Paul wants us to have godly sorrow. He wants us to mourn the right way because that leads to salvation. In 2 Corinthians he says this, Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to what? Repentance, right? Mourning over sin, contrition, repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed by us in any way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But what? Worldly sorrow leads to death. It brings death. But as you fight sin, as you put it to death, as you mourn your sin, remember the comfort that you have from God. Remember the comfort you have from God as you look forward to Christ returning. But in the meantime, right now, you have comfort from God. Praise be to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Remember, I showed that picture of that person being lowered into the ground and I said, we're not necessarily looking at people dying as a part of this discussion here, but it is a part of it. Death is difficult. The death of a loved one It's difficult. Does anybody understand the death of a loved one more than God? No. Nobody does. Praise be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the Father who willingly laid down the life of His Son, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly, what, in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. As we live in a sin-cursed world, as we wait for the return of Christ to receive the ultimate comfort that we will receive, we have comfort now through God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word this morning. We thank you that you are the God of all comforts. Father, I pray that you would help us to mourn our sin appropriately, that we would grieve over our sin knowing that it offends you. Father, that it separates us from you, that it fills hell. That humanity is suffering because of sin. Lord, please, please cause us to grieve that and mourn over that rightly knowing that when Christ returns, that we will be comforted. Father, we thank you for the promises that you bring of comfort. In Jesus' name, amen.